0: establish your family core values. These are the critical things that you would stand up and fight for your family. There are a lot of values. And a lot of people say, hey, like, how do we live a good life? We'll go outside and we'll be happy. Those are good values. But they're not the ones that the kids make decisions on, that they choose their friends on, that you make your decisions with your time on, you decide what to do with your family on. And having core values gives you a lens to look at all these other things from work to relationships with the kids to whether you homeschool or not. So they are critical to make you sure that you're not always trying to solve every problem like it's a new problem. Look at your core values, apply them, and then see what the solutions could be. Mm.
1: This is the Fit Investor Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Cale Delaney, Wesley Whitehead, and Brenna Carls. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are for another episode of The Fit Investor. I'm Cale Delaney here with my co hosts Wesley, how's it going? And we have a guest here. His name is Joe Hashi. And Joe is, he's a multi-talented man, but he's recently had some big life changes that we're excited to hear about. So Joe originally had his master's in education from Colgate university, where he played years of football, but after four knee surgeries that ended that dream. So he went on to becoming a high school social studies teacher for eight years and a local youth coach. And after, unfortunately, his father passed from some preventable health issues while Joe was in college, he had a passion now for helping people overcome these things. And he launched a local personal training company to help busy adults live longer and healthier lives. He'd been a leader in the area for 15 years, named the Chamber of Commerce as Small Business Person of the Year in 2018. However, he realized he was spending more time on his business than on his family and that he needed rebalancing fast. So now Joe is a business consultant for companies coast to coast. He uses those lessons to guide the most important organization in in his life, his family. So with that, Joe, welcome to the Fit Investor Podcast. It's an honor to be here. I
0: appreciate the banter we had before the call, and I'm looking forward to the conversation during. Excellent.
1: So yeah, we were just talking before we hit the record button here that you recently, relatively recently, moved to Colorado Springs, and I guess that has to do with this whole rebalancing act with your family, right? Yeah, and it has
0: been quite the act. It was, we have Fitness Studio, how it all started is to take a step back, started a small garage gym. And I was teaching high school economics and U.S. history at the time. And it just basically got so big. I enjoyed the classroom component, but I didn't like the trajectory of that career where it was like, hey, I'm going to just teach and you have your structure raises each year. And it was just a predefined path. And I wanted to be a little bit more adventurous with how I was spending my time. And so as the gym got busy, we opted to go all in on that. We expanded locations and grew to help adults live longer and healthier lives. And during COVID, everything got shut down, especially in New York state, where these gyms are, they still exist and still are doing well. They were shut down for a long time. It was almost nine months before we were able to get back in. The kids were all home for a couple years in New York state, end of that first year. And then the full second year was all virtual learning. And so we opted to homeschool our kids because it was not a great atmosphere for, especially our older son wasn't learn, going to learn well on the computers. So my wife stepped up. We had eight rental properties. My wife and I always lived simple. And we our first house was a duplex. And that garage gym was in the basement of the duplex. And we rented out the other half. We bought the one next to us and we expanded. And then they passed the rent moratorium, which everyone stopped paying rent on all the units. So we had a closed business, kids at home. And our financial investment of these properties were all in the tank during that time. It really taught us to build a a good problem-solving strategy to look for different opportunities. We liquidated all the properties. We rotated to short-term rentals so they didn't have the lease agreements to get us through that time because you couldn't remove people that had a lease in New York at least. And so we sought to pay the mortgages on all those properties. So we liquidated them. We pivoted to short-term rentals. We pivoted to doing more education for other people in a similar situation. We guided the company through it. We kept all of our employees paid and on staff throughout the whole shutdown, hit the ground running when they reopened, established a leadership team, got them to run it and moved to Colorado Springs and established our family values and started leading our family here. Wow. That's awesome. I'm jealous. (laughs) That's quite the change. And it was one step at a time. We don't know anyone here. We just literally said, hey, everything's up in the air now with life. This is a good reset button. It's made it so uncomfortable that we have to make a decision based on Where we think our kids could get careers and might potentially stay which is important to us after they graduate somewhere around us Mm -hmm. and so the area we're in was a more depressed area that had population decline for the last 20 years and so we said all right let's find someplace on a map and fly out there and we'll look at a house we'll see if we like it neither of us had even been to colorado this area before and so we flew out and saw a house the school district had an open house at Little Mountain School District. The next day, it just happened to say on their sign. So we walked into that, and it all aligned, and we just bought the house and rented it until we were able to liquidate
1: our properties and move out. Wow. Nice. nice. So you don't do the homeschooling anymore then? Kids are back in is it public or private?
0: Yeah, they are in a public school currently. We are blessed with the elementary school in the area. It has a very outdoor education-style program, and that's what nice. attracted us to it. That our older son that I mentioned, it wasn't. Going to do well on the tech time nonstop with the teachers mm. they actually did a lot of their education outdoors they would learn math by measuring water levels in the local creek they would learn right. english by writing and presenting at the town board they would go out to the great sand dunes they would do overnight camping trip where they had to plan and strategize how to use their rations and make sure they had everything and problem wow. solve and so it was very outdoor education which you really needed we still keep it on the fence with everything going on in schools Right now, we have a very good elementary school, but we're not afraid to pull the plug again because we know we can do it now. If we have three sons, so two are there, one's up at the middle school now, and it's, keep an eye on things. That sounds like a really cool program.
1: I'm just curious how was the how was the homeschooling when you guys were doing it? So it was a lot of heavy lifting by
0: my wife, and mm-hmm. she always points the silver lining. Is that she got to know the kids a lot better, the learning style, and what made them emotional throughout the day. What frustrated on what they enjoyed. And so she really has cherished that year that she spent doing most of the education she was doing at that time, I think it was fifth grade and third grade at the same time at the same table. Wow! And she was an excellent student and was able to guide them through that process. And I think it brought our family closer together. So while there was a lot of frustrations in the world and everything else going on, we
1: we're trying to just control the controllables. Here's what we can do for our family right now. Yeah, I've heard that just because i had some conversation with some other people who have been doing homeschooling now for several years, and they said very similar thing. Is that the biggest advantage to it has been that yeah, it's brought their families a lot closer, and and the siblings especially a lot closer. Mitigated a lot of the like sibling rivalries and that type of thing. Yeah, they
0: got to survive in the same household, and honestly, it removed a lot of the stigmas of homeschooling that we had. Like, oh, you just sit at home and you learn, and you don't get socialization, which is always the seemingly knock right. on it. But the, we've discovered a lot of co-ops and a lot of even out here in colorado it's huge so co-ops are like you homeschool but they go with a group of people that homeschool in the area for okay. this day for half a day and these co-ops are 10 20 kids and parents get together they all do cooperative learning and then you go back and do homeschooling a friend of mine who's a dentist in the area they do that and her his daughters are some of the most socialized people i know they never stop talking and they're always engaged <laughs> and they're out doing challenges and it in my perspective, changed my view because I had been a public school teacher myself. And so seeing more of it was very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, no, that's good to hear. It's been something that's piqued my interest here as of late. So I'm always interested to hear about that. So let's take a step back then and talk about your business side here. So you mentioned you you had the long-term rentals, then you converted. To short-term rentals and at the same time you had the gym going which came first did you have the properties first and then you started the gym or yeah we had the properties first so our very first home after we got
0: married i was it was a, my first year teaching got married we bought a duplex okay. to live in half ran out the other half and then our neighbor who was a police officer I ended up having triplets and he had a duplex so we had to sell that one fast and we bought that <laughs> one and so now we own a couple properties in a row and started expanding that way
1: okay and did you start it with a particular goal in mind, or it was just, it's smart to have a couple properties, let's get some extra income, or what was the mindset? Yeah, we
0: wanted to learn about that style of investing, which is a little bit more labor intensive, but a little bit higher potential return. And yeah, we, we, our goal was to just keep expanding it as, as many as we could manage and establish a management team around to run and make sure that the numbers still made sense. Now, right?
2: what year did you start buying properties?
0: It must have been 2007.
2: Okay. Right around there. Nice. Mm-hmm. Did you experience the downturn where, where you bought your properties or was it pretty much steady in the Northeast? Yeah.
0: So there was a little bit of a downturn around that 2010 mark. However, like I can imagine the area had a declining population. And I was talking about it this morning with my leadership team of when we we're looking forward on any impending declines in the economy. Hey, our area for the for all its the troubles with the economy—it never really gets big ups and downs. So It doesn't expand like in the Las Vegas market or something where the house prices went crazy and then came crashing down. They're all mm-hmm. just kind of one percent a year. You don't get a lot of growth. You don't get a lot of long-term overall growth out of the properties, but you don't also experience the huge swings and downturn in home values. That's no. like,
2: it's like a mutual fund.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It, <laughs> it, it's not that exciting when I had to sell it, like. We were selling our property in New York and moving out to Colorado. We we're talking to the realtors here and they're like, oh, you bought it like 10 years ago. So, what did it appreciate? Like 20, 25%, like 0%. We just <laughs> had to sell it. We owned it. We owned a beautiful property that we finally settled in after we bought the rentals that it had, it's like an old farmhouse, a couple ponds, six acres. It was great. And we sold it for basically what we got it for eight years later. It's just it is what it is in that market. Gotcha. So, you got rid of them all, or do you still have any as a short term rental? We dumped all the long-term rentals, and now we have five uh, short-term rentals. Okay, and where are those? So we have three here in Colorado Springs. We had one in Whitefish for a year, which was good up in Montana. Oh, yeah. With short-term rentals, you have to pay attention to the regulations. You really can't have many in the town, so slightly out of the town. It wasn't as convenient to the slopes, and so while it rented, we took the appreciation, we sold that one, and we have one in North Carolina. Oh. Yeah, Yeah, that would cover them okay where's the one in north carolina it is in franklin
1: north carolina okay part of the mountain range over there yep got it okay so yeah my main business is the short-term rentals so i'm primarily in the smoky mountains in tennessee oh, cool. there and then i have some properties down here in south Florida. it's a mix it's primarily long term i have one short term down here but yeah the majority is and my focus is up in the smokies but i've been hearing a lot about the Whitefish area lately, a lot of people I know have been buying up there now, and uh, how, Colorado springs how is it very very regional in terms of like regulations there, or is it a pretty open city or a great question. It? it is very regional, county
0: based okay. Colorado Springs, I believe the rules you can't have a short term rental within I'm gonna say a hundred feet of another one or five hundred okay. feet some distance. they're all taken. So there's right. there's no other licenses available currently. Yeah. And a lot of people put short-term rental moratoriums on during COVID in the small towns and just never to have taken them off. Mm. There's other small towns that have them, and then some don't. So it really depends. It's like the Wild West out here. You got to go town to town and figure it out. Yeah. And they've been performing well. Has one area been better than the other? or? Yeah, so Colorado Springs has been our best now. I also think that's because I'm able to contribute some management and some some upkeep and like some better control versus like in North Carolina, it's just exclusively run by our property manager that we outsourced it, our co-host. So there's a little bit there, but my brother also had picked up a couple here and they've been going really well for us.
1: Okay, nice. That's good. Yeah, that's why I I haven't looked too heavily into Colorado just because I know, like you were saying, it, it is, from what I've heard, very... Regional, like you said, with regulations, that you gotta be really know what areas you're looking in and be really in depth with the market, so yeah, and to Wesley's point, like it's gonna go up and down here, like we're gonna feel
0: like we we bought this home twenty twenty one it appreciated like twenty two percent over the course of the next couple of years, but it's also gonna come crashing down as soon as there's a a decline in the housing market, which I yeah, guess I experience that. here,
2: yeah, Florida's the same way it's waves, so it's just about when you buy and when you sell right.
0: Yeah, fortunately, we bought around that 2% era, the 2 to 3% mortgage era on almost all the properties. So That's we nice. can stomach a few over, over the length of time, a few waves. Yeah. Yes. Nice. And do you have plans to continue growing with the short-term rentals? Or Yeah, we'll plan on keep keeping it going. It yeah. is more of a side investment. Very busy with the business consulting, very busy with the gym running it remotely, and yeah this passion project they were working on with my wife, the Strong Family Project. So things are really busy. I would love to add one every 18 months or so, right. but at a more steady pace, we did those five in a year and a half. So it was very fast yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Very,
2: could you talk to a little bit about how you remotely run your gyms? And they're still in New York, right? Yep. The, how yep, do you all, run them remotely? What is your routine like?
0: They're in upstate New York, and we follow something called EOS, which is a Geno Wickman Entrepreneur Operating System. We established it. We have our leadership team. We have our communication structure. Like this never could have happened five years ago before we had some established how to run basically our company like a bigger company. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn all those processes. We have our leadership meeting. It was actually this morning with Carly who runs our marketing, Brian who runs our training team. And then I do all the lease negotiations, all the back-end finances. My wife does the finances, books, payroll, which we can still do from here the The biggest thing for us is we, we have to incur higher labor costs being remote. We have to have some backups on staff. It's not like I can jump in and do a session or run, a, run it for six weeks while we hire someone new. So we have to be overstaffed slightly for any employees that move on. And so we just have to build those systems in and protect the company.
1: Nice. Right. And what kind of, is it like a specialty type gym, like a studio type gym or weightlifting or kind of what's the
0: yeah, it's a personal training studio for adults and athletes. We initially started, we were just athletes because that's what I wanted to do out of college. And then when my father passed, I'm like, you know what? Let's try to help adults live longer and healthier life too. And we realized they are just like older athletes. Just got to be a little bit more careful with some of the things we do. And so it's, everyone is guided by a personal trainer on their individual workout plan. Our unique model is it's like personal training in a group setting. So they work out, there's a group of people, but they don't, they're not all on the same stuff and it makes it one-tenth of the cost of personal training because there's other people in the room Hmm. they don't really need a personal trainer sitting there talking about their week they just get their sets reps exercises (laughs) gets it through it makes it more affordable so they can actually come often enough to get good results and so that model really took off we added a couple i added one new one in a different city which at that time i didn't want to do it remotely and ironically now we're doing it all remotely so we (laughs) Sold that to the trainer that was running it up in about three hours away from our primary locations. But all that experimentation taught us what we need to learn to be able to do it now.
1: That's, yeah, that's an interesting model because you're so right. Like I, I go to one of the, like the big chain gyms, a LA Fitness down here. And every morning I see it. It's the personal training staff and the, their clients. But yeah, half the time is spent just chit-chatting. <laughs> so, yeah. Why do these people waste their money? I, I, I don't get it, <laughs> but I guess. Some people just need the, need the company or the encouragement, whatever. Yep, so, that's right. So now you have how many locations with the gym? We have three currently. Three. Okay. Now, one thing that, that I found and tell me if this is accurate with you, since you've stepped away a little bit in having to, because you are forced to with being remote now, same with me, like with the properties, like I said, my, most of mine are in the Smoky mountains, a thousand miles away. I actually almost prefer doing things or investing in projects remotely now because it forces me to develop those systems that kind of take you out of a lot of the stuff that you kind of get sucked into if you're there locally. Do you have that kind of experience as well? Yeah, I agree with you.
0: It's that old can myth you, you really can't work in your business. You have to work on your business. It forces right. you. So yes, with the business consulting and with the properties, that model really works well where we have to get the systems established right away. The gym has been a little bit more of a learning curve because I was there for so long that they there were some assumptions that I would always kind of be there and like, hey, if something goes wrong, let's just call Joe. He'll solve it now. The leadership team has done an amazing job stepping up as we passed the torch, but there was a little bit more than, to your point, it would have been nice to establish it as like an investor, although I am super passionate about it. So it might not have worked at, for me, but it would have been nice to establish and elevate them at the beginning. So it wasn't the, the expectations that I would come in and do all these things. They've learned it. They're doing great. They're stepping
1: up, of course, but it was a little bit more of a learning curve than if I had done it initially that way. And now with the leadership team that runs the gyms now, were those, those were people that were already working for you that stepped up into the bigger role now? Yeah, I've been very
0: fortunate that they've stepped up. Our marketing manager, I mentioned, our head trainer, they've been there. Our head trainer has been
1: there a long time. Marketing manager joined after COVID. Okay. All right. That's good. So obviously, yeah, trying to all of a sudden hire, do outside hires for those types of positions, that can be a little bit tricky. So having people in-house that you can elevate. Is certainly a better avenue to go down. Exactly. That'd be a very big stretch of my leadership skills to hire an onboard with being fully remote. Yeah. I know companies do it. I haven't yet. Yeah. Actually, Wes, cause you're similar. Wes, your business is in North Carolina. You're down in Florida, running it remotely with your leadership team. How was that actually built? I don't think we ever really talked about
2: that. So what I've done is I've pretty much just I spent a lot of time going over the company objectives with my senior manager and then the assistant manager. And I said, look, this is the mountain that we're going towards. How we get there, you have flexibility. And so what I did was, is that I created a bonus structure that pays them monthly based on them meeting performance metrics that are valuable to me. So if they're hitting something that, that I would be focusing on while I was there, then they get compensated for it and i give these targets with tension between them so for example like one of the targets is the number of reviews we get above three stars So four stars and up So four and five star reviews we can't get more than eight percent of our reviews below four stars in any given month right that could give incentive to give away the farm right just make every client happy give them all this free stuff but to give tension for that like okay you need to also have this number of revenue per department so that the staff has to figure out what do I want to give and take. Same thing with missed calls, right? So I say you can only miss 35% of the phone calls at the front desk. So make sure your front desk team is not missing more than 35% of the calls. They could just blow up payroll and just staff the front desk with a thousand people in the army and miss no calls. But I also gave them a payroll number. You can't do payroll above this percent per month. And so they had that constant tension and that's worked out great for me. So for us, my wife and I, like you, Joe, my wife does payroll. I do all the finances and marketing, but the staff, they do all the hiring, the recruiting, the training, they run the place, they do scheduling, they do all that stuff. And as long as I give them every month, the targets that they need uh, for me to make my numbers for the quarter or for the year, they know what their goal is and they just get it done. And I don't micromanage. They'll make mistakes sometimes. And afterwards, they'll say, hey, this is what I did. work out the way I thought it would work what would you have done? I'm like, I might've done this, but it also could have blown up in my face as well. Um, what would you do differently? And they tell me what they would do differently. And I'm like, that works for me. And so they're pretty good about that. So that's helped me.
0: Wesley, I think you hit a very important point that I didn't mention. And I'm glad you did because I had to learn this when I moved is that, and this actually came from my marketing manager. I think it's a Brene Brown saying clarity is kind. And the ultimate clarity is giving someone a number so there's no vagueness around, hey, you did a good job or bad job. That's it, They might interpret doing something as a good job, and I might think, mm. well, we missed what I wanted, but right. saying, here's the number,
1: there's not a lot of room for interpretation. So I really like that.
2: Yeah, I right. appreciate that.
1: So with the business consulting then, how did that genesis, like when did that come about and why? So I was actually in some different mastermind groups for
0: business, gym business specifically, prior to COVID. And during the need of that increased because a lot of people didn't know what to do. And there was a big time of panic. And so I was able to partner up with Vince who runs one out of New Jersey. was able to add a couple people that I do individually. And so now he's got a group of about 80 to 100 gym owners that are around the country, a couple abroad that we get to work with regularly, meet with quarterly, do the CEO evaluations of the people in the group that do the most expansions and revenue. Um, there actually be meeting out here in Colorado at my place group of tw- a small group of 12 next month. And so came about by out of necessity. So I guess that'd be another silver li- silver lining out of that time.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, wow. So it's gym specific then. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. It's gym specific, but I think in general,
2: the principle is probably the, exactly in exactly. general,
0: it's still some version of applying a little bit of Patrick Lencioni, a little bit of Gino Wickman coming up with a system, having your scorecards, having your metrics, having your accountability right. chart, which is true for almost
1: any organization. So for somebody that's starting out a business or, or maybe they even have a small business that they've been running for a while, but they're looking to be less hands-on and like you were saying earlier, work more on their business than in their business. What are some practical tips that you could share that they could put into action?
0: Yeah, I have two that I think could really benefit people because it's always that struggle of how do I go from being one person to two or three people? How do I get that first person on? Who do I hire? How do I onboard them type questions? And so for you to be able to work on your business, you need more capacity, which means you're gonna need to bring someone in to do some of the work. And we approach it in two different ways. First, it is usually easiest to hire for something that you know well. Like a gym owner could hire a assistant trainer because they know training very well. They've elevated up through training, bought a gym, trained people. That's typically the path of a one to five facility gym owner. And then they can try to onboard that person because they know a lot about training. Where I've seen the screw up is like, all right, I've been training so great. I'm going to hire a marketing person, but they know nothing about Marketing themselves, they think it's like, all right, let's post on social media, and they don't get the results they wanted because they hired for something that they aren't clear on what they need. They don't know the role, and they haven't done the KRAs, and they haven't done the job description. They haven't even sat in that seat for more than one day, let alone enough time to be able to onboard someone successfully. So, the first approach is find out the minimum wage jobs and try to try to pass those off. The things that you, you can free up so you can do the 100 to $250 an hour work instead of spending your time doing the 10 or $15 an hour work. The second piece of that is you if you hire someone, you better be able to onboard them successfully. So it helps if you sit in that seat and figure out that system before you hire someone outside and say, all right, well, here's what I want you to do now. Now figure it out. I haven't had much luck with it. I haven't seen many businesses have much luck with hiring someone initially to create a job role for themselves.
1: That's so true. In the short-term rental space, the big push or big thing now is when you want to build out your team is use, using VAs or virtual assistants, right? And I hear it so many times exactly what you were talking about in that people hire a VA and they just want to say, here, take, run the business now, but the VA has no clue what the heck they're doing. They don't, there's no goals. There's no KPIs like you guys were talking about before. And the marketing in specific, that's a big thing that people want to push off onto them. But yeah, if we don't have the clarity on what we're trying to do, or if we haven't learned it or done it ourselves, how can we expect someone that hasn't been involved in the business before to be able to jump in and all of a sudden start producing to, to our expectations? So that's a very good point.
0: Yeah, big piece of- only a company is doing LMA, lead, manage, and hold accountable. It's tough to, in your example, to hold a cleaner accountable if you do, haven't done a couple of turnovers yourself. And when you do a couple yourself, you're like, you know what, maybe I should get two things of sheets so that the person doing the turnover can just swift them, switch them and take them and then right. do laundry at home versus I'm um, paying them for two hours to stand there by a dryer and let them dry. You do these processes just a few times and you can learn what's most efficient for you and your business and then you can pass it on. Same with VAs. If you don't know how to write a couple lines of marketing copy and you outsource someone to write your full description and your messaging to guests, like it might not go that well. You need to be able to lead, you need to have a baseline understanding. You don't need to be an expert in it, but you need to have a baseline understanding
1: of what's going on so that you can lead, manage, and hold accountable successfully. I think one of the other things too is just getting the feedback from your employees. Prior to being in the real estate, I worked for 15 years as a project manager for construction and one of the big things at that company was getting feedback from the technicians the guys in the field doing the actual work because nine times out of ten they have a better solution than what we think because as managers we're not out there we're not out there chipping concrete or doing whatever so it's easy for us to see a number on paper and say hey you should be meeting this type of goal there's a thousand reasons why maybe that can't that goal can't be met and so let's talk about it so yeah. Getting that feedback from the people who are actually doing the work can oftentimes lead to better solutions on the front end. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think it helps if you define what success looks like and then are flexible with how you get there. And I think Wesley mentioned that with his staff, here's what success looks like. Now you have the freedom to get there and that that is a valuable way to, to lead. If the carrot and is good and they want it, then they'll go towards it and they'll come up with better solutions. And I tell the staff all the time, that's why they're in on the leadership team. Like they'll have better answers than I am. They have more capacity to think on it or the trainers will have more capacity on how to build relationships in a session than I would. So we, I got my, my definition of success is we need to be relationship based in our field because a lot of this stuff can be outsourced, especially with AI. You can go on chat GPT and put into your height, weight and what you want to do. And I'll spit out a workout program for you now. (laughs) The difference is being relationship-based or not. So we talk to the trainers and how you th- how the conversations go with the members, how do we meet and greet, what's the body language protocol, things like that to build relationships in session to
1: make it a sustainable career. So how do you manage your time? Because you've got, these, you've got the short-term rentals, you got the business consulting, you've got the gyms, and you've got your big focus and your project on your family now too. So what does your day look like? So I will be accountable here. There, It isn't
0: perfect. <laughs> How the operational side of the day looks is I do block scheduling. Like I will do this block of time. I'll do podcast interviews, get to meet cool people like you two, get to chat with some more. And then I will do business consulting usually during two mornings a week, 20-minute calls, back to back. All, But I don't spread them out. I want to get them all tight together so that yeah. then I can have my training time, my personal training time, my morning training time, I go out and hike. When the kids come home, that'll be like the family time, quote unquote block. And I don't want to sound it make it sound robotic and business-like, but I think there's so many lessons from business that you can apply to family for better outcomes and block scheduling a certain one of them. How I am accountable for it is I am not very flexible. If something gets off on the schedule, like I'm, like it just d- doesn't go well. Like right. My wife will say, hey, I, can you take the kids to the orthodontist today? Like everything is st- stuffed in a block and
1: I, I have a tough time being as flexible as I would like to be. I, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, it's the same thing. Very into time management, block scheduling, discipline, routines, that type of thing. So yeah, when something takes me out of that routine, yeah, I can throw you off a little bit. Yes. So, yeah. Let's segue into the talking about the fitness, but I want to, the physical fitness, but I want to, if it's all right with you, I want to talk about the family project and everything a little bit as well, because I think that's super important. And Wes and I are both, we're both married and have kids as well. And so I want to ask you some things. I've been listening to your podcast. I think it's great. And selfishly, I want to get some information for you so you can help me. I appreciate that. Very (laughs)
0: cool of you to listen. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah.
1: See, you took a big step back. You moved out to the mountains. You wanted to focus on your family values here and spend more time with your family. Has there been any like one specific thing maybe that you decided to implement to put that focus on the family, whether it's, whether it is something to do with the block scheduling, setting aside that family time, or is there just one thing in specific, one, one thing that if people want to refocus their values on family that you would recommend?
0: Yes. And I think it does segue out of the business conversation we've having, we've been having is which establish your family core values. And so these are the critical things that you would stand up and fight for your family. I think it gets a little bit too lukewarm. Like we were talking about, Hey, you did a good job and vaguely to an employee versus saying you did a good job for this thing. That was the number that we set. The core values are the things that you would really fight for your family. There are a lot of values and a lot of people say, Hey, like, how do we live a good life? We'll go outside and we'll be happy. Those are good values. But they're not the ones that the kids make decisions on, that they choose their friends on, that you make your decisions with your time on. You decide what to do with your family on. And having core values gives you a lens to look at all these other things from work to relationships with the kids to whether you homeschool or not. So they are critical to make you sure that you're not always trying to solve every problem like it's a new problem. Look at your core values, apply them, and then see what the solutions could be.
1: Do you mind sharing what your
0: core values are? Yeah, not not at all. So we have be adventurous, which is important to us. Part of the reason why we moved out here. <clears throat> be genuine, which is like our older son loves robotics and he does that. Our middle son loves soccer. He does that. And it doesn't matter what they're doing. It matters that they are trying their best at what they want to do. And so that's the line, line I hold on that. Wanting to be together. It's a relationship-based one for us that if there is, let's say, a discipline issue in the house, which doesn't happen that much because we worked a lot in family culture. But the consequence would be related to the values to reestablish wanting to be together. Now, hey, go to your room for a week. Hmm. It's like, all right, you spoke back to, I'm just making this up, like you were very rude to your mother. So the consequence is you're going to sit down after dinner and do a puzzle with her because that is wanting to be together. It's our core value to repair a value that was offended by that action. And so that's the consequences are related to the values. Decisions are based on the values as well. Personal growth is one of ours, which is the kids love. They have their reading time, they have their journal time that we want to make sure that they are always pushing forward with their family values. And how we establish and practice them is every week at our family meeting, they give an example of one that they embodied, or they give an example of someone else from the table that they saw live one of the values. So Things like mission statements and values, if not done right, they just sit on the wall of a company that no one knows and they're very vague. So you actually have to put them in practice after you choose them. So we practice our core values every week at the family meeting and the kids make their decisions based on them. We choose our family experiences and activities based on them. One of our family values isn't like, hey, let's go uh, consume a bunch of junk food and go to the movies. Like ours is to be adventurous. Let's instead invest on taking the Cog Railway up Pikes Peak and hike down. And so the kids start to
1: fall in line with the values because that's what our family stands for. Nice. When you created those values, did you, was it you and your wife coming up with that and putting it together or did you guys involve the kids to get their input or how did that creation come
0: about? So initially we started it by just listing every value that we thought were good and then we play a game called kill keeper Combine. Like ones that are like good, but they're just those lukewarm values that I mentioned, this is really good, but it's not doesn't define our family, so let's kill that one, cross it off, keep it, we really love it, combine it, like these two things are similar, let's see if we can squish them together in one, we play that till we get it down to about 10, and then we present those to the kids where they get to choose the top, we don't, four to seven, uh, which is a memorable amount for them the top few that we weren't established. And we were like, all right, we're going to do these for 90 days and see if this is true for our family. And then we'll meet again in 90 days. We'll reevaluate, is this true? it was. And so we kept the core values after that. Gotcha.
1: Okay.
0: I like that.
2: Now, where did you come up or hear about the Kill Keeper combined? Oh. That's
0: pretty cool. Yeah. That's- so we actually do it off. I don't know if it's a traction thing. It was a business-based thing. So There's a lot of lessons in business and that we would set our 90-day rocks which are like the big projects we need to accomplish in the next 90 days. It's above and beyond our day to day. It's above and beyond one month, but these are our 90 day projects. And so every quarter we'd sit down, we list everything we want to do as a company and we get a list like 50. We're like, all right, we can't focus on all 50. We can only focus on five to seven. So let's kill keeper combined to decide what's important for this quarter right now. And these other ones we can table and talk about next quarter, but we have to kill keeper combined until we get it down to five or seven. Then we assign one person who owns each rock from there, each big
1: goal.
2: Nice. I like that.
1: Yeah. See, I love this. So this is actually really cool. So you are taking all these business principles and applying them to your family. But if you were to just without talking about the business, like we did beforehand, if you were to just start off and talk about these, Hey, we do these family values. This is how we do it. I wouldn't be thinking, yeah, that sounds like a business. It sounds very personable still. But the principles all stem from the structure that the business provides. I I find that very interesting and very cool. And I think that's probably why it's effective. That was part
0: of the realization I had in the bio line you shared up front, which is, hey, I took running business very seriously. I want my employees to be very successful. And I want people to love coming to my companies. And I want a great culture. And that just doesn't happen. Like We have to form it and establish it and push it and do these rocks and do these goals and get clarity on everyone's roles and give people responsibilities and lead, manage and hold accountable. And you come on home and we're like, all right, let's live a good home life. And it's just so vague and it's not going in the direction, but you put so much effort into your yeah second or third organization in your life, but not as much in your primary organization. And a lot of business stems from if things are good at home, things can be better at business. Like if home life is all over the place like business
1: your company is probably not going to be doing that either right so there's a lot of carryover right now i'm gonna i'm gonna air some dirty laundry here what if your spouse and you have very different values do you have any suggestions on how to try to come to some terms of agreement yes i do and
0: so it is coming there has to be some agreement hopefully but that's why you got married that yeah maybe it's at different ends of the political spectrum or different views on homeschooling versus po- like okay let's set those aside that those can't be our family core values because we differ so much on those but what do we what's our common ground on things that we really are passionate about moving this family forward for our kids and sometimes it is ignoring the the public culture out there right now and just really reflecting on what did you learn as a kid that you loved and would love to pass on to your kids that's a good place to start and try to work some values
2: around that okay so basically you're not imposing your values on your spouse, it's right. in common. Right.
1: Try to put right. common ground.
0: So um, if I said, Hey, I work out every morning and she says, hey, I don't want to work out. It's not going to be a family core value, physical fitness. It just won't, it can't be for our, our family. We have to pick something else.
1: Let's, yeah. I want to tangent off of that a little bit. So I was actually listening to your, I think it's your most recent podcast this morning And you were talking about doing a morning workout with the family. So what is, what does that look like? Is that like a before school type thing? Do you guys have like a set routine that you do or how does that look? Yeah.
0: So the kids have a set routine every morning. It is simply an establishment of a habit. It's not to make them a puddle of sweat before school. It's five to 10 minutes. Okay. And so it's something like, and I don't remember we established it. They wake up, they do it. my middle son loves pull-ups. So he'll do a total of 10. And then he'll do a one-minute plank twice, he'll do 50 squats, he'll do a couple push-ups. And that's his routine. My older son is a little bit bigger, taller and growing into his body. He can't quite do pull-ups. So it's a one-minute hang for him instead of pull-ups, then a plank, then a squats. And then when we have more time on a Saturday, Sunday, we're now starting to do a more full routine and our five-year-old is nonstop. stop like He loves it. Like <laughs> he, he, It's like, hey, what's my next exercise? He's always ready to go and he actually counts the sets and reps now and... Like he, I'm like, hey, you gotta slow down, so I want five sets of ten squats, not one set of ten. You know, but it, it is great. So it's establishing that as a habit versus right. having that friction of oh, I'm sore. Like we're not gonna have to have all those conversations. You're Just gonna do some basic things. As a basic human, you should be able to do a couple things, and then we can add to it and role model it. And now Henry wants to work out more, and he's trying to do some. He's getting into front squatting, and for my, you know, I don't want to get on too much of a tan- tangent, but. Instead of like birthday celebrations and cake and stuff, we go out and Mm -hmm. do experiences and challenges. So we want to change how we celebrate because we want to celebrate associated with our values. Like we Mm -hmm. talked, hey, we want to be adventurous. Our value isn't sit around and eat a bunch of junk food all day with the culture around a celebration. And so for my birthday, I did 4,140 pull-ups for my 40th birthday. Trained for six months doing two to 300 pull-ups a day. And then Henry was there and the family celebrated. Like I started at 2 a.m. and went to the evening. Then we had a little birthday dinner, which my wife did just homemade food. My son saw that, and so for his birthday, he did—he hmm. would turn ten. He, I know I'm sorry, he turned eleven on this one. He did 1,011 pull-ups, and we did wow. them together, and that was his celebration of something that he will remember more than like what flavor cake he had. We use the celebration
1: as more aligned with our values. Hmm. Nice. Wow, that just reminded me of something very recent, like yesterday, and I want to get your opinion on this or suggestion. So I just happened to see that there was like this challenge for May of do a hundred pushups a day. So 3000 pushups in May. And so I, I brought that up to my son and daughter last night, my older two, at least. And say, Hey, why don't we, why don't we do this? I'll do them with you guys. And my daughter's like, right away. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. My older son is, yeah, and I said, I'll give you a penny for every pushup that you do over the month. So you do them all, you get 30 bucks at the end of the month. And so that piqued his interest. He's then it came down to actually doing the push-ups. And one of his one of his challenges is he gives up very easily on anything that becomes difficult. The second it becomes difficult, he just he gives up, no matter what it is. And so it happened here again last night. I was like, all right, let's start, let's do the push-ups here. And he does the first couple, and he's like, eh, this is hard. And he quits. And it's been a struggle not only with that, but just in that quitting mentality that I've been very trying hard to overcome with him because it's totally opposite my personality and what I do. And so it's been a point of friction between us a lot. What do you think on that? Like how do you have any suggestions on how to try to come to maybe a common ground on something like that or how to help motivate somebody?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question and very worth diving into because like you're teaching work, you're not teaching pushups, you're teaching work ethic and seeing something through to the end and making commitments and making goals. There's a lot of underlying things in there. It's like, we were talking about business. You had to find success. And yeah, we could use pushups as the vehicle to get there, but I'm not married to whoever could use pull-ups, but I'm not married to pull-ups. I want to see my kids accomplish hard things. The first piece of it, my wife and I were actually just recording a podcast on it. It It's out in a couple of weeks where people did some Q&A on discipline things. And yes, we can duct tape together the situation in the moment but a big part of it is the culture like long-term how do they view things and so the parenting technique we use we call it constant gentle pressure like i'm never going to yell or make them do something but i will constantly gently pressure them into the right direction over the course of 60 90 days they start to see the path and we do this with we'll give you an example of soccer ball so we have we live on the side of a mountain and my son, Henry loves soccer, he'll kick it. And then Everett, our five-year-old's a goalie and sometimes he'll kick it and he will go down the mountain. And they used to argue like, oh, I'm not going to get it. You kicked it. Like they argue and I would just <laughs> run down the mountain and say, I got it. I have the strongest legs. I, I should get it. Cause I'm the strong one here. And they're like, wait a second. I'm also strong. Like I keep getting the ball. So I must be stronger. <laughs> and like after two weeks of doing that now, Everett almost dives down the hill. He's like, I'm going to get it <laughs> cause my legs are so strong. And so I would do things like that with the pull-ups and the push-ups, and say, hey, I'm going to do this because it's important that I establish the values of work ethic. Now, if you want to sit on the couch, that I guess that's your choice and watch me do these pushups. I'll do the work. I'm always willing to do the work and uh, hopefully someday you'll be able to join me. But for right now, if you want to sit on the couch, I'm, I'll am i do the work. Like strong people do the work. And you start assa- you start attaching positive values to that work. And over time, they start to soak in. It might not be today or tomorrow, unfortunately, for the May pushup challenge, <laughs> But it's associating the positive values with the habits. So it's mm. not like, all right, this is hard work. Hard work is very hard to sell. It's not great when Jim's market, come here and we'll make you wicked sore and you'll throw up like, that's <laughs> not great marketing. You're selling the wrong thing. You're selling the outcome of the pushups. If you do these push ups, you now get the characteristic of being a strong person you now get the characteristic of someone who sees things through. And the push ups are just how we could do it. Is this important to you? And you get their buy-in yes
2: or no. And Kale, thinking about what you just said, I was thinking, if your son or anybody, if they have a hard time not giving up, right? I think as a parent, what you could possibly do is find at what point does he give up? Let's say 100 push ups a day is too much. Let's say he's doing 20 and he's giving up on a regular basis. Hey, the goal is 25, 25 a day. That way, he just, it's the goal is for him is not so far beyond what he can imagine he can do because I can do five more. And then he does 25 for a week. All right, now the goal is 30 a day. You right. know, five like, does 25. That's 25 more. And next thing, like, he's learning that, okay, I'm not, the goal is 100 a day. That can be overwhelming for someone who right. gives up, for example.
0: And another piece of that's a great example, Wesley, is that, yeah, I don't mind incentives, like you mentioned, and making the next goal achievable. Our older son struggled with push ups. And so he, I'm like, listen, the truth is, I can't take you to the range. We can't go shoot archer. We can't go, to to shoot firearms unless you have the the physical strength to be able to handle it and I know you want to yeah. but the reality is you're not putting in the work to get that thing now here's how we could do it and it was we call them water bottle pushups. you take a water bottle you put it sideways you do a push up to hear a crunch and all the way up so that's how you test a legit push up mm-hmm. for a kid so they, it's not some just vague right, like yeah. you bend all like you touch the water bottle empty oh. water bottle crunch and up you had to do five of them it wasn't something like hey you got to do 100 push ups and I'll take you like hey you can do one right now If you follow this process, you accomplish five. The day you accomplish five, the next day we'll go. Because that'll show me that you can physically handle the demands of that thing you want to do. And you have to understand that it's not that I don't want to take you. It's that it's for your own safety. You can't go in and do this thing and not be strong enough to be able to draw the bow and things like that because it'd be dangerous for you.
2: Yeah, I I like the goal, the goal oriented, like you just mentioned. And I like the incremental, moving the goal down the field, like Mm -hmm. incrementally stretching Mm -hmm. them. I like that. Yeah. Those are good. Those are good tips. actually
0: I really yeah. like that water bottle one.
1: That's actually perfect. Yeah.
0: That's what we used to do. We used to train a lot of high school teams and they would do push-up contests and it'd be always bickering like, oh, I eat that stuff. He's doing this. Right. One with All right. Everyone get a water bottle. You hear a crunch. Yes or no. It goes back right. to the clarity on business thing. Yeah. You got to get clarity that. on what it actually looks like. I love that.
1: Now, what I, and I'm curious on this is, what is your opinion on physical activity and exercising with children? I'm a bit of a hardliner, probably a bit extreme to some people like physical fitness is very important for me. It's been part of my life for forever. And it's, I guess it's one of my core values. Let's put it that way. And so I want that to be something that my kids find important too. And so I've tried various things and workouts in the morning, workouts in the afternoon, doing things together. And frankly, I haven't found something that, that works. Yeah.
0: I think it's absolutely critical for kids to get wellness habits. And you can look at all the science on obesity rates. You can look at the science on brain function. You can look at the science and school outcomes and the kids who are active versus inactive. However, I am more, it's more important to me that they learn the habit versus they do the sets and reps. Like I know how to program it from being a trainer for 15 years. Like I know a great workout program of sets and reps that could get them stronger that's not the approach I take with my kids. I want the sets and reps that they will do on a daily basis so that they know that they can and move forward. And that's why the morning workout is basically really simple. Right. And really it sets them up for a win. And so we do those small things. We work out as family. My wife's not huge into it, but she'll come down there for the family workout. It's important the kids work out. We have less manual jobs right now. You see the obesity rates from Joseph Medina's brain rules books. The number one rule of getting high brain function is to exercise and improve your oxygen uptake. Like every positive outcome comes from you in the brain, at least the beginning comes from your exercise. Now it doesn't matter if you're doing a hundred pushups or jogging a mile or doing a bear crawl or doing a pull up, or it's just that you have to increase your blood flow. And so I let, I'm very flexible in how it happens, but not as flexible that it has to happen.
1: Okay. No, it's good. I appreciate that.
0: And and I should also say this: always tough in the moment. It's like, all right, the things I'm saying, you probably have already tried. What I have to teach a lot of parents is, all right, these are like those rocks we talked about, give it 90 days and just try to nudge it slightly. Get it just a little flick every day for 90 days. And you'll be amazed at the outcome. It's probably not something you can solve in the moment where emotions are high and they're digging their heels and I'm not going to do this. And then you're like, Hey, it's really important. Not in that moment. Like it has to happen with lower heart rates at a different moment to
1: gently nudge it forward yeah and that's for me that's the overarching takeaway that i'm getting from this personally frankly is that what did you call it the the constant gentle pressure constant gentle pressure yeah so that consistent nudging because yeah i'm thinking my attitude or my approach to things is oftentimes and it's the same with myself personally is that okay here's the goal bam we're doing it today that's it oh i get that yeah (laughs)
0: I get that. I get that itch. I had to learn otherwise. I didn't get the outcomes I wanted.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's jump into the the last bit here and let's just, let's talk about the, let's talk about faith. So you are a Christian, your family's Christian. Does that fit into the core values or like, how do you integrate that into your life and to the business and everything? Yeah, so my wife actually
0: and I met in Catholic school in in upstate New York where we went to high school and then we moved out here. We had a reestablishment of faith into just general Christianity because it aligned more with kind of what we were looking to learn and be a part of in a community and the kids program they had and everything at our current church has been amazing. They're very different than the old school type of Catholic masses we were used to. And it really spoke to our kids more. And seeing our kids get engaged for the first time really empowered us as parents to become more connected with it. And so I'll give credit to Mel again. She's better than I am at because I like to, I struggle a little bit with getting up and dancing and singing. Like I've always been a quiet person. Like (laughs) before football games, everyone's going to rob. I'm just kind of stand off to the side because it's not my thing. But the message is, and trying to help the kids navigate this world is having that that Christian background is a very powerful filter for them to work through. Just like I mentioned, the family core values and Christianity is even more important. The rules that they, and guidelines, I should say, some
2: people think it's so negative. Like you get guidelines on how to live your life. Like it's a very powerful thing. You mentioned the rules and I saw you kind of smirk. Like people think of that as negative. I think it's funny. It's true. People look at it as a negative way, but think about this. You have an operating manual for your car or your laptop. You don't look at that as being negative. You're actually like, okay, how do I, how does this thing work? Like, how do I get what I want out of this program or this software or whatever? And people are okay with that. But when it comes to the rules, the rule book of life, oh, I don't want to read rules. Okay. You want to just wing it. Then get the results of winging it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it a, yeah. That's a great
0: point. The reason why I smirk is that people, they there are, like, it says certain things in the book. But people try to bend it to their own will and their own feelings and their own lifestyle. And I think percent right. issues.
2: No, well, you, well, you smirked and I smirked too, because I was like, that's exactly how people look at the negative.
0: <laughs> at it. Yeah, it's confirmation bias. I'm going to look at the sections that agree with how I want to live my life and then filter it to my filter and not vice versa. And that creates some issues.
2: And then when life breaks down, it's like, why is it broken? It's like you skip the whole chapter
1: <laughs> on how to start. Exactly.
0: You follow like six commandments. Like that's, that's 60%. In
1: the- yeah. That, why isn't that working? <laughs> oh, gosh. And I think it's I think it's just more and more it's always been important but it's more and more important in today's day and age with this uprising of everyone has their own personal truth which yeah know, to the, me, that's a the, bunch of garbage it um, should be opinion you allow your own personal opinion just don't sure the
0: dub it is truth i have, have exactly. there's some things that we cannot know and so having
1: calling it truth is it would be disrespectful to the word 100 percent. and it just going back to what we've been talking about it it impregnates that that vagueness into things again there's no if there's no hard line truth anymore then well who's to say that what i'm doing or how i'm living is wrong and exactly. that, that's the danger that uh, unfortunately the society puts on us
2: do you have any like closing words of wisdom or recommendations for our listeners yeah so
0: i want to marry them all together is that i do think you should establish your own personal core values i'm not telling people what to believe in Because everyone's family can have some differences there in living by them. My next is to establish timeframes in which you would like your family to accomplish things. Societies in general were very good at this. They would have rites of passage. There's a good book. I think it's a focus on the family book called Raising Modern Day Knights, specifically Mm -hmm. about sons because I have three sons. I read it but it teaches you that, hey, society always had these rituals, these rites of passages. Now we get these kids in their 20s and 30s and they're not quite sure if they're a man or not because they didn't go through, they didn't have any values, they didn't have anyone to tell them like, hey, like this is the step that you take and now you're at a higher level making these concrete memories. It's all just vague, let's do good and be good, but there's no specificity to it. So get specific with your values and get specific with when you want your kids to accomplish things and then allow some flexibility in the time frame to get there, be realistic with it and your capacity and your schedule. And it is worth doing. And it it is definitely worth your stress level. So, all right, let's take a breath. Let's come up with a plan because having a plan alleviates a lot of the stress of parenthood. Say, so, okay, in a year, I want my kids to be able to work out three days a week. What are some things I can do this week so that in a year that becomes true? I just can't snap my fingers and make it happen today. So you're putting a lot of stuff together, and I hope those are some takeaway points. I know I get ranting sometimes, but I think those are important ones to keep in mind.
2: Excellent. I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This has been great, Joe. I really appreciate all the tips. Like I said, I took a lot away from this personally here, and I love how you married the, the business and those principles into the family life. And that's something that doesn't get talked about enough, and it gets neglected too much. We focus on the business and we neglect the family. So I'm glad we had you on here to be able to talk about that and and enlighten us a bit. My honor and my pleasure. And I'm sorry we
0: got a little squished short because of my schedule on the last topic, which is a critical one. I'd love to keep the conversation going. If sometime we have you on our podcast or vice versa down the road, I'd love to keep the relationship going with good people because the reason why Mel and I started the Strong Family Project is to get around more people who are trying to have strong families and learn more things. And Absolutely. so I learned a lot of these too. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. And just before we sign off, just tell people how can they get in touch with you? How can they follow you with the family project and everything? Yeah. The best place to go is strongfamilyproject.com. Mel and I give away the strong family path, which are the seven elements, including how we do our core values, how we do our morning routine, how we run a family meeting, how we do an evening debrief. It's all laid out. It's all free on the website. So you should go check that out. We do have a social media page, but you can
1: get to it from the website as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again, Joe. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. I'm sure. Thank you. Yes.
0: Awesome. Have a great day. Nice to meet you both. Very cool to have me on. Thank
1: Thank you.